Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs came to Yuma Monday for a whirlwind tour and tutorial on life along the border. Today, what she saw, with whom she met, and how she reacted after her fast-paced visit. Plus, Arizona Attorney General Chris Mays discusses what her predecessor didn't tell you about the investigation into the 2020 election. Then, state lawmakers want to invest $30 million into magic mushrooms, why they're so eager for Arizona to take the trip into psychedelic research. And, one South County mayor's take on last week's House Judiciary Committee field hearing. But first, the governor's visit. Governor Hobbs Monday started bright and early with a tour of the San Luis Port of Entry and a visit to the Morelos Dam to check on new permanent barriers to fill gaps in border fencing. Construction won't be done until after the anticipated May 11th expiration of Title 42, which prevents some migrants from seeking asylum. The policies and promises to bring another surge in illegal crossings. Acting Yuma Sector Border Patrol Chief Patricia McGurk-Daniel provided the governor with an update on plans for handling the renewed influx. Hobbs tells Capital Media Services she came to Yuma South County specifically to make sure the area is prepared and the federal government's listening. I think that they are hearing from us loud and clear that they need to be, and I think they're taking action. We um, That was part of our conversations yesterday is, is how can we help these organizations um, that are going to deal with the impact be prepared. Um, we're pushing to get FEMA dollars released. That's going to be incredibly helpful, um, and, and we're continuing to have ongoing communication with the Biden administration about what we need when, when Title 42 goes away. But the governor concedes there's only so much Arizona can do. The bulk of the burden lies in Washington, D.C. Well, I think, you know, this is an issue that the federal government can do some things about. And we, I've said this over and over again, and and we all know this, we need comprehensive immigration reform, and that is an act of Congress, and it's been really hard to get that done. Um, And so I'm going to continue to advocate for that as well um, in a way that that addresses needs of Arizonans. And so um, I think as much as the federal government can do without Congress, um, they're willing to do, and we're going to keep advocating for what what we need. The governor also met with farmers to discuss water and made stops at Campesino Sin Fronteras and the Regional Center for Border Health. But Hobbs did not meet with officials at Yuma Regional Medical Center, which made headlines after it raised a red flag on immigrants' unpaid medical bills. The governor says she wants to see the Fed step up on that as well. That was part of our conversation yesterday um, and certainly something that we're advocating for um, for these federal dollars to help support with um, where they can. It's been three months since Attorney General Chris Mays took office, and she tells us it's been a busy and productive time. One of Mays' first tasks was to take a closer look at her predecessor's investigation into the controversy and conspiracy theories surrounding the 2020 elections. We sat down to discuss what Mark Burnovich didn't release in his final report and why Mays thinks that information was so important. You took a look at the investigation that your predecessor, Mark Burnovich, did into the 2020 presidential, the whole situation surrounding the 2020 election. And you found Mm -hmm. some interesting 
omissions? Can we say that the former attorney general didn't tell us everything? I think that's uh, exactly how to say it, unfortunately. Yes. We, uh, you know, obviously uh, took office in early January and, and uh, you know, kind of immediately started to dig around. We wanted to find out if the former attorney general, Mark Burnovich, had actually ever um, issued or written. Uh, we knew he hadn't issued a final report on the uh, 2020 election investigation. Um, and they, you know, the office had, investigators had that report, in addition to two other internal reports, was never issued to the public. And what is disturbing about that is that those reports all held that the election was fair, was secure, and that Maricopa County was essentially blameless in its conducting of the election and had done a good job. And as you know, um, my predecessor had previously issued what, uh, what was called an interim report on the investigation in which he actually called, quest, called the election into question. Turned out uh, the investigators here in the AG's office disagreed with that interim report, but uh, my predecessor decided to not reveal that. Was that investigation conducted the Elections Integrity Unit, I think is what he called it? Yeah, partially, yes, and and essentially, yes. Um, But it also involved uh, all, at some point, all 60 of our investigators, numerous lawyers here at the AG's office, uh, 10,000 man and woman hours went into this investigation, and uh, and ultimately uh, three reports uh, were issued, um, essentially debunking all of the claims, conspiracy theories about the 2020 election. They investigated, you know, the crazy conspiracy theories involving Italian satellites and the bamboo paper and, you know, many different um, assertions, allegations, all of which were were proven to be essentially false. There was no there there. And, you know, I think that, you know, my predecessor had a duty to um, be honest and transparent with the people of Arizona, and I don't think that happened. And, you know, obviously... Let me interject real quick. Do you think the absence of that information impacted the 2022 election? Because we have seen across the state, actually across the country, you know, election officials and election workers, they are resigning their posts like like crazy. And you have to think it has to have something to do with the backlash that just from things like this. I think that's a fair statement, and that's my concern, which is that, you know, in, in, you know, I sort of liken it to the, my predecessor, the former attorney general, was watching, uh, you know, our Democratic uh, house burn down, and he was holding a fire hose, and he dropped the fire hose, and he walked away. He could have doused the fire by releasing these reports that prove that our elections are secure and safe, that proved that there was no there there to the conspiracy theories. Um, and he didn't do that. And I think that that's just unacceptable for the top 
legal officer, the top law enforcement officer in the state of Arizona, which is the attorney general at that time, Mark Brnovich, and now it's me. And to your point, you know, unfortunately, in 2022, what we saw was, was the culmination of all of this, which is, you know, now we've seen at least one third of all of our counties in Arizona experience the loss of an elections official because of death threats, harassment, or an intimidating environment. And that cannot stand. And one of the things that I have said, and I'll continue to say, is we will prosecute anyone who engages in death threats against our elections officials. Do you think that the release of your final findings will actually make the situation better as we head into 2024? I hope so. And I, 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 what I'm, what I'm hoping that we can do now is turn the page and, and come together, start a process of healing, hopefully, in some of the divisiveness. I'm not naive enough to, to think that we're going to, uh, you know, end all polarization in Arizona, in Arizona. But I do hope that by being transparent, by putting this information out there, we can at least start to demonstrate to to every Arizonan that um, and the rest of the country that that our elections are in fact safe and secure, and that the the conspiracy theories are something that frankly need to be put behind us, and we need to move on from that. And I and and I just need to we all need to come together, lock arms, and know that we're all part of this democracy together. We're not always going to agree, but we have to agree that our system of elections and our system of democracy is great and it's fair and it's secure. That was Arizona Attorney General Chris Mays. Finally, something state lawmakers from both parties can agree on, but the focus of their consensus may come as a surprise to some of you. Why they think Arizona should experiment with psychedelics when the field from KAWC continues. I'm Lisa Sturgis. We'll be right back. Funding for the field comes from listeners just like you who support KAWC News. It's individual and community support that makes civil conversations, local analysis, and trusted news on this podcast possible. That's why we're counting on your charitable gift right now. It takes all of us to ensure the things we care about continue to thrive. So please take just a moment to donate to KAWC so we have the solid resources needed to keep this podcast going. Visit kawc.org donate to give today. And thanks. Thanks for staying with The Fields. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Hallucinogenics have been part of indigenous religious ceremonies for centuries. They're also popular with a wide spectrum of recreational users, but few are legal in very few states. California and Oregon recently legalized recreational psilocybin mushrooms, and now Arizona's examining tripping down the same path, but in a different direction. 
Both Democrats and Republicans in the state house have voiced support for a pair of bills focusing on the medicinal uses of magic mushrooms and the drug best known as ecstasy. Capital Media Services' Howard Fisher shares all the details with us. Joining us now is our very good friend of the field, Howard Fisher from Capital Media Services. And he's here to tell us what's uh, what the legislature's been working on. And one particular story that caught my eye and probably caught your eye and Howie and obviously caught your eye. Democrats and Republicans alike are in favor of legalizing magic mushrooms. Well, this is a fascinating issue because... Arizona legislature generally is thought of as we know better, we tell you what to do, we tell you how to run your life. But what's happened here is there's some anecdotal evidence out there that certain kinds of uh, psychedelics can help people with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, The issue of psilocybin is there has been some research on that, in fact, in several states including, I think, Oregon and Colorado have legalized for recreational use. We're not quite going that far. But what they're going to do is provide $30 million of funds to research the natural form of psilocybin, which, again, is is mushrooms as opposed to some artificial form, and find out, does it, in fact, help people with post-traumatic stress disorder and and other issues? There are are researchers that are touting its medicinal effect, And from what I understand, the committee also heard some pretty compelling testimony from a former Penal County Sheriff's deputy. Oh, there's a lot of folks who have talked about it. You know, one of the people that you you mentioned said that he, you know, when he finally got some treatment for it, and obviously it wasn't physician guided because they can't legally do that, but he said it was like going from watching a black and white TV to watching a 4K ultra high definition color TV in terms of how it changed his life. He was no longer fighting with his wife doing stuff like that. Now, again, these are anecdotal pieces of evidence because of the fact you do not have any physician guided treatment, which is really what I think people want to do. But it does provide you know some basis for folks to say, well, there is research needed. There, there are indications that some people can be helped with this. Now, remember, this is a state that was one of the first states to legalize marijuana for medical use, you know, nearly two decades ago, because of the fact that people said there was anecdotal evidence that can help with certain conditions. You know, sometimes people who were getting radiation treatment, who had lost uh, uh, some of their uh, desire to eat, uh, some PTSD, some, some testimony there. And it convinced enough Arizonans to say, yes, we'd like to do that. Now, obviously, since then, we've legalized marijuana for recreational use, and that's a whole different subject. But there is a feeling, I think, by a lot of lawmakers that if the traditional forms of medication don't work, then maybe we need to look to something else. I mean, let's talk about people with PTSD. They've been self-medicating for years. A lot of the times, it's things like alcohol. And clearly what all that is doing is blurring the feelings and and basically making people forget and not really dealing with the underlying issues there. Well, and, and so the that, gentleman that, and the gentleman that they um, they heard from last week that the committee heard from last week said that because he was in law enforcement and prior to that, he was a combat marine. He had never even smoked pot. So this was. Um, 
this was a departure for him. This was, I believe you referred to it as a move of desperation. Um, oh, exactly. Because if, if you're in law enforcement, at some point you get asked the question, have you used otherwise illegal drugs? And that can be a disqualifier. Uh, but at a certain point, I think he decided, and again, I don't want to speak for him, that the conditions he was suffering from required some sort, something more than just going ahead and uh, and saying, okay, this is, I'm just going to live with it. Uh, he, he had to do something. Now, remember, this isn't the only drug that they're, they're looking at. They're also looking at questions of uh, what they call MDMA, or also known as ecstasy. And right now, that is what they call a Schedule One drug, which means the FDA has decided there's no legitimate medical use for that. Now, that's a fairly broad category because, according to the FDA, marijuana is a Schedule One drug also. What lawmakers are doing is getting ready for a point where maybe the feds decide there are medicinal uses for it. And the legislation that's ready to go to the House says at the point that the feds reschedule MDMA from Schedule 1 to something else, we will automatically allow doctors here to prescribe it for their patients. And they both, I, enjoy, I they both enjoy bipartisan support, correct? Oh, definitely. And, and you know, Amish Shah, who is a, an emergency room physician in Phoenix, uh, specifically said, and he's a Democrat, he specifically said, I have seen research on this, and we really do need to do more about it. And again, I think the idea that in both cases this would be done under medical supervision because simply taking mushrooms and sitting out in the desert may have certain benefits for, for people, but the, the issue is you really need some physician guidance to, to, to walk you through this, to, to kind of you know, be your, your travel guide, if you want to call it that, for your trip. And so that's what they're looking at, and I think that's particularly you know, what, what they want. That was Capital Media Services' Howard Fisher. Look for Fisher's reporting on the psychedelic legislation and all the latest happenings at the state capitol on kawc.org. Thanks for staying with us. This is The Field, and I'm Lisa Sturgis. Last week, NPR invited KAWC to share insights on our coverage of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee field hearing in Yuma during its live broadcast of its noontime news program. It was an assignment we were honored to accept. And when the network asked us to connect them with a voice from along the border that mainstream America may not have heard from before, we knew just who to call. For those who may have missed it the first time, an encore presentation of Here and Now host Peter O'Dowd's conversation with San Luis Mayor Nieves Rydell. Nieves Rydell is the mayor of San Luis, Arizona. She is a Democrat. Mayor, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. And um, okay. I think Lisa was too kind. Uh, the way she used words to talk about what happened yesterday in Yuma. To me, it was a pony and dog show. And, uh, and then they throw the monkeys in. When they brought the sheriffs, uh, what is it uh, to try intimidate people? So you think there was no value, no value for, in that hearing at uh, all? Oh no, no value whatsoever. If these people, and I'm talking about Republicans and Democrats, really care about what's going on 
with this issue, which is illegal immigration, they will sit in the table and talk. And, and I know there's a fix. You mm. can fix everything except death. They don't want to because this is a good political hot potato. They can throw at each other back and forth. And in the meantime, border towns, because I want to stress the fact, if they really, this, this congressional delegation really wanted to come and work and serve the people of the United States of America, they will come to a border town. San Luis, Arizona is a border town. They didn't have the decency to, to invite some people. They are being impacted. It was disrespectful. They didn't invite it, the Cocopot Nation, that is taking the blunt of the problem. A tribal nation on okay, the border. Okay, everybody right. that is coming across. Well, let me ask you, Mary. Is coming across their land. Sorry to interrupt you, mm-hmm. but but when I mean when you go to the work when you go to work in the morning, you can probably see the border, right? I mean, what do you see? How does it compare to how the Republicans describe it? Uh these people that are coming across, I'll say 99% of them, they're coming through and they leave, okay? There's 1% that they're not coming with good intentions, okay? Let's be blunt about it. We know because we had uh, spent lots of our resources in law enforcement to go and take care of uh, disturbances, uh, break-ins. So not everybody that's coming across is coming with good intentions, okay? Let's, let's be blunt about it. Um, but we're living it day in and day out. And like Lisa says, in the peak of the, um, this uh, phenomenon, in December, there was hundreds of people coming across, hundreds of people in groups of hundreds of people. Now it had decreased a lot, but it's going to pick up come May 11th, when Title 42 uh, goes away. Yeah. So instead of coming and and um, and showing that they just playing games with the American people, they choose stay in Washington and work because right now when they take these little trips, they're wasting our tax dollars. There was testimony uh, yesterday from Dr. Robert Trenchell. He is the CEO of the Yuma Regional Medical Center, the hospital uh, in the area. He described spending $26 million on care for migrants that the hospital never got paid for. Let's listen. Migrant patients are receiving free care. They have no ability to pay. We have no ability to bill anyone. We don't know their final destination. We don't know anything about them. We cannot provide completely free care to the residents of our community. So the situation is simply not fair and understandably concerning to them. That sounds like an important issue. I mean, what kind of pressure is on your medical infrastructure, your police force? What kind of strains are you feeling? And that is very legitimate. That's why the federal government should do their job. They should do what they get elected to do. Work, find solutions. I think I will I will tell the director of Yuma Regional Medical Center that he's barking at the wrong uh, tree. He should submit all those bills to the federal government because they are part of the problem. Basically, they are the problem. The federal government. Yes. Yeah. If he wants to recoup his money, he should just Send in the bills. Well, you know, that brings me to my next question, which is you've been uh, on the border for many years. You come from a family of immigrants. Do you have any hope that this country will ever see comprehensive immigration reform, that the Republicans on yesterday's panel will come together with Democrats and find a solution? 
I think my grandkids, 20 years from now, they're going to be talking about immigration um, problems, immigration reform. If they were really serious about fixing the problem, they should start with a DACA pro program. Those are the kids that had no fault of their own. They were brought to this country. They're members of our society, and they're sitting in limbo. And then we have at least 11 million people waiting to become um, uh to have their status legalized. Okay, let's start from there. And uh, no, um, I can assure you 20 years from now, this will continue being an issue. Mm. Um, Mayor, I know that immigration is not the only issue that you're up against in San Luis, Arizona. You have a lot on your mind. I'm sure you've got roads to repair, a drought that's threatening the Colorado River that runs right through this area on its way to Mexico. What do you want people to know about the issues that are important to people in San Luis? Uh, the issues that are very important to us in San Luis is that we are a community that is within walking distance to Mexico. We are in the front line of this problem, and we have bigger problems than immigration, okay? Like you said, we have a water issue, we have road issues, we have unemployment issues. Uh, we, as a municipality, cannot take care of our constituents. Um, this city is one of the few cities in the state of Arizona that we don't have a property tax. Uh, not that we're not being taxed to death, but everything goes to the county. Uh, so we got bigger issues to take care. Uh, I think the immigration issue is a federal issue and it should be taken care in Washington, not in our backyard. Nieves Rydell is the mayor of San Luis, Arizona. Mayor, thank you so much for your time. We thank Mayor Rydell for agreeing to join us for that special broadcast. And thanks to Peter O'Dowd and Here and Now for letting us share the interview again with local listeners. The Field is a production of KAWC, Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennig and performed by members of the Yuma Jazz Company. For more information, visit yumajazz.com. Thanks so much for listening to The Field from KAWC. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I sure do hope to see you back here next week. Till then, keep yourself informed.